0: Hello and welcome to Top in Tech. My name is Colin Darcy. I am a Senior Practice Director at Global Council and have the honor of being your regular host. We're going to be focusing on two themes today. First, what is happening with privacy and data protection law in the United States? We see some progress in Congress, the Federal Trade Commission is busy consulting on new rulemaking, and California has just passed its own act to protect children. I'm delighted that Agonma Wankwo is with me. She's a senior associate leading on US tech policy out of our DC office, and she's going to unpack all these myriad developments for us. Second, we've got a new government in the UK, led by Prime Minister Liz Truss, and we have a new Digital Secretary of State, Michelle Donlan. What does this mean for the UK's flagship digital regulatory proposals, like the online safety bill? Thankfully, I've got Megan Stagman here. She's an associate director in GC's London office, and she's going to talk us through it. So, Agoma, if you don't mind, I would like it if we could start on the US side of the pond and just dig a little bit into what is happening on the prospects of a US federal privacy law. It sounds, if I'm right in characterizing this, that we are seeing some of the most optimistic and positive signals out of DC that there could be progress in some time. So, could you just give us a little bit of commentary on that? I mean, is that correct? If it is correct, what are we actually seeing and what do we think will happen coming up next?
1: Yeah, so that is correct. Um, bills have made the most progress that they have, you know, ever. So the short answer to your question is that the passage of a new US privacy law is unlikely to happen during this particular legislative session as lawmakers shift gears from legislating to campaigning for the November midterm elections. But with that said, currently in Congress, there are multiple privacy bills circulating. So in the Senate, there is the Kids Online Safety Act and the Teens Online Privacy Act aimed at increasing online protections for children. And both of these bills have bipartisan support. And in the House of Representatives, we have the American Data Privacy and Protection Act, which, if enacted, would set a national standard for how companies collect, process, use, and share the data of all Americans, which also has bipartisan support. Now, notably, all these bills have advanced out of their respective committees and are now eligible to be considered for a vote on the floor of their respective chambers, which is very significant. ADPPA in particular um, has never gone this far. A comprehensive federal privacy bill protecting all Americans has never made it this this length. Um, But there is actually some disagreement between some House and Senate lawmakers over whether to prioritize expanding protections for children specifically or advancing privacy safeguards for all consumers right now. And given the differences between the privacy bills and their privacy focus, reconciling them in the event they pass each respective chamber may actually prove quite challenging. Also, The American Data Privacy and Protection Act, which is the most discussed bill of the three, still faces quite an uphill battle, just making it out of the House of Representatives. Uh, The bill's state preemption provision has garnered significant opposition at the state level because the bill would essentially override many kinds of state laws. And also, Senate Commerce Committee Chair Maria Cantwell has concerns about industry loopholes in the bill's text Her opposition remains a major obstacle to the bill's successful passage through the Senate because her committee controls the fate of any data privacy bill. So all in all, even though there is increasing pressure on Congress to pass privacy legislation and privacy bills have seen significant progress, it's just very unlikely to happen during this legislative session.
0: So if we take that together, Akoma, the message is there's been progress there is growing momentum, often in a bipartisan form, towards privacy-focused reforms, but we're not quite there. And so if we return to that question that we, we often explore is whether Washington, D.C. can do tech policy, I think our answer would be still not yet in this regard, but perhaps there are other avenues by which privacy and new privacy rules are going to be pursued. And that takes us on to the Federal Trade Commission, where we know that that body led by Lena Khan is investigating the potential for new rulemaking aimed at privacy. So can you just comment a little bit on on what's happening here? Is this the Biden administration trying to go via regulators because it can't get stuff through Congress?
1: Yeah. So the Biden administration issued an executive order in July last year on promoting competition in the American economy. And Biden issued this order because there is recognition that a whole of government approach is really what's needed to address unhealthy concentration and unfair methods of competition across the economy. And this effort actually calls on several federal agencies, including the FTC, to take action. But even though the executive order is primarily focused on competition, it does urge the FTC to use its rulemaking authority to address unfair data collection and surveillance practices that may damage competition um, and consumer privacy. And since then, we've seen the FTC file an advance notice, notice of proposed rulemaking on the prevalence of commercial surveillance and data security practices that may harm consumers and by filing this notice the commission is really signaling that they are seriously considering creating privacy rules but i should note that the white house would prefer for congress to pass legislation for three main reasons so the first is that the rulemaking process can take years and well, consumers need protection now, right? And the second is that the FTC creating privacy rules would most likely face a legal challenge, especially falling on from the Supreme Court's EPA ruling earlier this summer, in which the court invoked the major questions doctrine, which essentially states that if an agency wants to make rules on an issue of major or political significance, it's action must have clear congressional authorization. And currently it's not quite clear that the FTC even has the statutory authority to create privacy rules for entire sectors and practices. And third, congressional legislation will provide, you know, the clear legislative authority and direction to the FTC and could also touch on issues such as you know, state preemption and private right of action that are beyond the agency's reach. So the stance from the White House seems to be that in lieu of congressional action, some privacy rules are better than nothing at all, and therefore the FTC should move forward. But there does appear to be some preference for Congress to pass something.
0: So at federal level, we have a Congress that may or may not get its act together in the coming years. We have a regulator that is bringing forward new rules in the coming years. But one area that is not waiting around and is happening right now is uh, California and state-level legislation. And there we have... California having just passed its Age Appropriate Design Code Act. So perhaps you can just tell us what this new piece of privacy legislation is, and then also just what will the impact be of California's new act beyond its own borders?
1: Yeah, so the Age Appropriate Design Code was signed into law by Governor Gavin Newsom on September 15th. And it will essentially require California companies providing online services that children might access to default to the highest levels of privacy settings and explain things in a way that children can understand. But very interestingly, the bill will also require online sites to consider children's physical and mental health when designing their products. Now, this is the first state law in the nation like this. And it's really a response to the growing push nationwide to hold companies accountable for how their services may affect children's mental health and safety. But this law is very likely to have implications beyond California, both among lawmakers and industry. Now, although the design code is specific to California, other state legislatures will likely use it as a model to create similar protections for children in their state. And this is not the first time that California has led the way nationwide in implementing data privacy laws that encouraged other states to follow. The California Consumer Protection Act essentially inspired for other states to follow suit in passing comprehensive privacy legislation. But this has really resulted in a fragmented data privacy landscape that is often challenging and expensive for companies to navigate, but this fact is actually likely to increase pressure for Congress to pass new guardrails concerning children's data and online privacy in an effort to avoid there being a patchwork of laws governing children's privacy. Now, industry is going to be really impacted by this law because California is home to Silicon Valley where hundreds of technology companies reside, including big tech companies. So these tech companies will likely introduce changes nationwide rather than treat children in California differently. Uh, California's passage of the design code in many ways forces the hand of tech companies to protect children in their state, which will likely have a ripple effect where children in other states or nationwide also receive these same protections.
0: So Megan, maybe I can bring you in here. Agoma has eloquently described the tensions and the feedback loops between the state level laws that are being pioneered by states like California, but also the federal level uh, within the US. But there's also that, that theme that we keep on returning to as part of these podcasts, which is the interplay between different countries. And how the regulatory efforts made by the European Union, the UK, Australia, and other parts of the world are leading the world and also feeding into how U- US companies, even though there is no US legislation, are applying rules within their own domains. And it's interesting when we think about what California called its age-appropriate design code, you and I have spent many years monitoring and working on the UK's age appropriate design code, clearly an inspiration for where California has, has gone in this regard. So perhaps it's instructive for us to just quickly explore what's the UK experience been? Has it had a major impact on how larger tech platforms have applied privacy rules with regards to children?
2: Yeah, sure. Um, And I guess before answering that, I would just pick up on part of your question about the US just following the UK, because actually, I think there's actually quite a lot of other examples where they followed the UK in this respect as well. So the UK's age appropriate design code or AADC or more easily called the Children's Code, came in to force a couple of years ago now. And since then, we've seen Ireland uh, follow suit. Um, They published a near replica of the Children's Code, which they called the Irish Fundamentals, just several months afterwards. We've also seen organizations like UNICEF um, trying to enforce those protections internationally. So although California is the latest, um, I wouldn't say that it's the first to copy the UK's example in this respect. With regard to whether it's been successful, um, I think in short, the answer is probably yes. Um, So the ICO recently marked the anniversary of the AADC coming into force and then being able to police it. And as part of celebrating that anniversary, they published a blog post looking at the changes that numerous companies had made in the year since. A couple of very high-profile examples, YouTube, for example, uh, now has new reminders uh, for children to take a break or when it's their bedtime. Facebook and Instagram uh, now have new limited targeting, so they can't target for certain characteristics such as age or gender or location when it's a child. And even gaming companies like Nintendo, they have a new uh, requirement where you have to be over 16 now to create your own account. So... Maybe it's a coincidence that all of these companies have suddenly decided to implement these policies, but it certainly seems that this could be a causal link to the regulation that came in. a year ago. So it's already been fairly successful. Um, I guess kind of looking forward, the ICO isn't done yet. Um, They've already said in our conversations with them that they're quite keen to show some more stick when it comes to this and really show that industry is complying. As a result of that, they're going through a number of uh, scrutiny and investigation processes. In particular, there's kind of four big investigations that um, the ICO is expected to publish its conclusions to in the coming days. There's another nine organizations across gaming, social media and video platforms that are being audited, fully checked out for how they're conforming with this code. It's likely that we might see some kind of like big high profile punishments coming to show that the ICO is really taking this seriously. The final thing that I would say um, is just that The Children's Code hasn't been a static document um, in the UK. In fact, uh, they published just a few weeks ago that they would be expanding the scope of it. And now, rather than just looking at services like gaming, social media, video platforms, as I mentioned, they're now going to be expanding the scope to also cover adult-only services where there is any possibility that a child might access it. So in practice, that probably means things like pornography websites. If there's a risk that uh, a child or a teenager could stumble across that website, that site now has a duty to set up new age verification measures to ensure that they can't access any harmful content. This is quite interesting because um, firstly, it's something which has been kind of a political debate for a number of years in the UK. Back in 2017, they were talking about implementing these age verification um, measures on pornography sites and it didn't happen. Um, Now it looked like it was going to come back as part of the online safety bill um, and that then got caught up in political turmoil, although it looks likely to return. But in the absence of that more kind of immediate action, uh, this is quite an interesting example of the information commissioner in the UK using its existing regulatory toolbox, expanding that, and now kind of bringing uh, pornography sites uh, within Scope. So it will be interesting to see what happens with that, but I think watch this space essentially.
0: So if we're going to take that experience over to California, I suppose that the headline conclusions are, firstly, yes, the UK's design code has made a pretty big impact and we could anticipate the same taking place in the US. And the second, it's a moving feast. The design code that was brought into law uh, recently is possibly not the end of the story. So the rules possibly will evolve with time and shape how uh, tech platforms apply their practices moving forward. So a Final question, we've talked about almost a static situation in which we have a Biden administration and we have Democrats in a strong position, albeit not, not without caveats, but strong position within Congress. Uh, we've got the midterms coming up in November. It's anticipated the Republicans will win one or both houses. Does that change things for our analysis here? Is it more or less likely or the same that we'll see new privacy law at a federal level in the US?
1: Yeah, so I think it depends. I don't think that we can look just at whether Republicans win the House or Senate or both. I think that whether we see privacy legislation move forward also depends on things like the margins Republicans potentially win by. So, for example, do they win by a handful of House seats or is it a landslide landslide victory? One scenario will make um, negotiations a lot more feasible, but it also depends on the actual individuals and what their policy obligations are. For instance, are these Republicans that are very concerned about data privacy or are these Republicans who are more concerned with content moderation and free speech issues? And also in the event the Republicans win the House, we'd have to look at who the House speaker is and whether they will even be interested in talking about privacy or anything for that fact that Democrats are remotely interested in. So there are a lot of different areas that we have to factor in. But what I will say is that currently on Capitol Hill, there is a general understanding that the U.S. needs privacy legislation, whether that's for kids specifically or for the general public. It's really just a matter of working out the details and reconciling legislative text.
0: Well, thanks, Agon. So there's a lot of unknowns there. Um, So watch this space uh, ahead of the midterms. But somewhere where there are far fewer unknowns is the situation that we find ourselves in the UK. We have a, we have a new government. Uh, Liz Truss is the new prime minister. She had an unusual start to her term of office with the queen dying uh, just a couple of days into her term. So it's only really this week that she and her cabinet have, have a, been able to get going in their policy setting agenda ahead of the UK party conference season. So what we want to do now, Megan, is just explore a little bit what we already know about the government and where we think it might shape tech policy in a slightly different way to what happened under the Johnson government. So first, I just want to ask you, at a high level, do you see politically and ideologically, do you see the trust government as fundamentally different to what came before? Or is there a large sense of ideological continuity between Liz Truss and her predecessor?
2: Well, I think when um, Truss and her competitor Rishi Sunak were in the leadership contest, Truss was described as the continuity candidate from Boris Johnson. So um, I think there are certain elements that are going to be the same. Also, ideologically, I would say they're not particularly different. You have a number of the same kind of people who are in Boris Johnson's cabinet, who are now going to be continuing in Liz Truss's cabinet as well. So Probably some elements um, of the policy agenda will remain. That said, um, Truss is arguably quite a different kind of individual in terms of her wanting to prioritize political um, and ideological preferences over. Kind of more political calculations, so if we take a, a recent example, um, Truss has just announced that she's looking at scrapping the rules over bankers' bonuses in the city um, and obviously doing that in the context of a cost of living crisis is controversial to say the least, um, perhaps not something that Boris Johnson would have been bold enough to do, given that he quite wanted to kind of enjoy um, public support so I think. Trust is perhaps more bold in her policy choices, um, and therefore that might have implications for the agenda as we see it. Um, The only thing else I was going to add to your question about what we already know about government is that actually some elements are, are still... Uh, not quite filled in yet. So although we have the secretaries of state and we know who the junior ministers um, are going to be, quite a lot of them haven't yet uh, had their specific briefs or roles um, outlined yet. So we know what departments they're going to work in, but not what topics they're going to work on. So hopefully that sort of information is going to filter through in the coming days, but there's still quite a lot of blanks.
0: So we've got Truss, who is a risk taker and someone who is prepared to put the political instincts of herself and her party above the needs to compromise and find political calculations that might resonate uh, with the public, prepared to take risks and hope that the public follow her. But what about this new Secretary of State, uh, Michelle donnellan uh, who's going to lead the digital culture, media and sport department? Is, is she in a similar mold or you know, what do we know about her?
2: Well, I mean, thinking about this kind of top-in tech, presumably we're interested in her tech interests. Uh we actually know Very little, to be honest, at this point. So, her political experience, she's had a number of kind of junior ministerial roles in the Department for Education and the Treasury. She's famously um, the shortest serving uh, Secretary of State when she was Education Secretary earlier this year for only two days. But she hasn't done a huge amount on tech or digital so far. Um, Thinking, prior to her political experience. um, She's done some other stuff that's going to be within her DCMS brief. So she's worked quite a bit on media and culture in the past, worked at the History Channel, for example, and for a number of magazines, um, and also for WWE, which is quite interesting. Um, But looking at tech specifically, we can only really go on what have been passing comments so far and her very early interviews. So... On online safety, she seems fairly well aligned with Liz Truss um, in that she said that she's critical of intolerant woke bullies, as she called it, and cancel culture, Um, so we can expect her to take a fairly hard line on that. Digital skills, um, I mentioned before that she was in the education department where she was pretty supportive of extra AI courses, so perhaps she's going to be a champion in that respect. Um, And on data, um, she established a higher education data reduction task force to reduce unnecessary data reporting, which is interesting only because um, GDPR is currently being looked at as to whether it can kind of cut red tape um, and reduce unnecessary data uh, processes. So, we'll see what comes of any of that, if that's actually going to dictate her future position. Obviously, there are a lot of other new kind of political dynamics to think about. Um, But I think given her lack of uh, past experience and um, strong feelings on the subject, perhaps DCMS officials and number 10 are going to have a bit more of a steer on her position than, for example, her predecessor.
0: Okay, so taking those together, trust, the risk taker, Donalyn, slightly unclear, um, but someone who's who's worked her way up in quite a short space of time within the party and is clearly ambitious. So if we take all that together, what, what does that actually mean for tech policy in the UK? We've seen a lot of pause bills in Parliament, the, the data protection and data information bill has been paused, the online safety bill has been paused. Are these indefinite pauses or are we just seeing a few tweaks and then they're going to come back uh, and largely fulfill the agenda that they inherited from the previous government?
2: Well, I think... um In short, I think they will come back probably um, in some form or another. Um, I think it's worth remembering that Liz Truss actually asked the previous DCMS Secretary, Secretary Nadine Dorries, to come back and continue in her role, uh, which was something that Dorries turned down. But that certainly seems to suggest that she wants to pursue a fairly similar agenda to uh, what the last government was looking at. Looking specifically at some of the the files that you've mentioned, uh the online safety bill, yes, definitely, I think that will come back um probably. Uh, Fairly quickly. Uh, Donalyn has said that that is her personal number one priority. Um, And there's also quite a lot of um, political storm around it, given that uh, a new inquest has just kicked off this week into the case of Molly Russell, which was the sad case of a 14 year old girl who committed suicide a few years ago after viewing self harm content um, on social media. So, given all of that political context, I think it would look quite bad for the government not to take that forward. Data bill, uh, yes, I think uh, that will go ahead, although it looks like they are probably going to tweak that. It was initially meant to kick off the kind of normal parliamentary process at the beginning of September, but that got paused. Um, I think... Uh, understandably, given that the new government wanted to take a look at it again uh, before it started going through Parliament, this is also quite a kind of big political opportunity for the Conservatives, given that the potential divergence from GDPR is being hailed as a big, major GDPR, um, sorry Brexit dividend. Um, so they want to make sure that they get that right. But I do think it's coming back. Um, and then on AI, which is maybe another one that's worth flagging. Um, that's still fairly early stage. Um, So, the Office for AI in the UK, which is a governmental body, is currently doing a consultation um, on a new uh, series of cross-sectoral principles that different uh, regulators would implement in their respective spaces. That is closing on Monday. So, um, I think there's still plenty of time for the new government and Donnellan to shape what the outcome of that is. But I would be quite surprised if it didn't go ahead in some form or another.
0: Great. So the story is largely of continuity, but we are going to see perhaps a distinctive mark from Donnellan and or Liz Truss's number 10 on the precise details of some elements of the flagship bills that the government is looking to take forward. But let's, let's sort of zoom out a little bit here. Um, we've talked about how the age-appropriate design code interacts with what has been happening in California, but there's this broader question about how do the UK and the US interact on tech policy? And clearly there are some areas where the US administration will have certain concerns, as they do with the EU, about the direction of travel of where the UK is going. I think the online safety bill or the digital markets unit would be would be examples of that. So, Goma, can I just ask, I mean, in the tech policy world in Washington DC or indeed on the west coast does the new trust government sort of register on the radar or is it the european union that really is still the point of reference for us tech policy discussions
1: i don't quite see the trust government having a significant impact on tech policy in the us and hopefully that doesn't you know sound too harsh but from a us perspective the focus is still primarily on the EU. And in many ways, that's because the EU has really become the de facto standard setter for the tech world. The Digital Markets Act, the Digital Services Act, the AI Act, among others, all have. Huge pretty major implications for the top companies in the U.S., so Washington is definitely paying attention. I've heard more discussions about how to promote transatlantic cooperation between the U.S. and the EU on key technology areas such as AI, biotech, and semiconductors than I've seen between the U.S. and the U.K., And currently, the U.S. and the EU are working to establish a new transatlantic data privacy framework to safeguard cross-border data flows. I don't foresee the U.S. pursuing anything similar with the U.K. in the short to medium term. Um, They'll definitely hold off until things are finalized with the European Union. And there's also the U.S.-EU Trade and Technology Council, which fundamentally aims to advance transatlantic cooperation and a democratic approach to trade, technology, and security. But this isn't to say that the U.S. isn't paying attention to what's happening Concerning tech policy in the UK, we've spoken a lot about the UK's Age Appropriate Design Code Act. And that design code actually motivated a few members of Congress to write a letter to big tech CEOs urging them to bring those same protections to the US. Um, it just so happens that DC is quite focused on EU relations as it pertains to technology, but they will continue to pay attention to. Ongoing bills or legislation that are coming out of parliament in the UK.
0: So perhaps we can characterize this, that the UK is clearly of interest to the US tech world. And at times individual pieces of legislation can act as an inspiration for those in the US who are thinking through how best to take forward their own legislative regimes and the bills they're looking to table in Congress But ultimately, the UK has seen less of a a regulatory competitor uh, than the European Union is, and therefore there's less of an imperative for the US to try and make sure that the UK is fully aligned with the US, which is more or less what is some of the motivation behind the EU-US Trade and Technology Council, where alignment is ideally the name of the game. So let's jump back finally, Megan, just to uh, the UK and the bill we've talked about many times before, which is the online safety bill. During the leadership campaign, at the start of it, at least, there was quite a flurry of conversation around the online safety bill, quite a lot of criticism within the Conservative Party towards it. In response, Liz Truss said she wanted to do basically two things, uh, protect under 18s, or at least focus the bill on protecting under 18s. And the second was to make sure there were sufficient freedom of speech protections within the bill. So how do you see this playing out now that her government is in place? How will Michelle Donlan and her department go about implementing these aspirations?
2: Well, I think to take uh, the second one first, um, because I think this is actually the one which is turning out to probably be the more likely change. um, So on freedom of speech. Interestingly, actually, earlier today or yesterday, Donlan, uh did a round of interviews um, and said that uh, this was something that she was going to be prioritizing. Um, it seems quite likely that the form that will take is removal of duties on legal but harmful or at the very least, a weakening of those duties. Um, So things like bullying and harassment, which aren't actually illegal, um, but that the UK government was previously trying to make um, online platforms remove from their content. Um, The other elements that could come into this freedom of speech is around journalistic exemptions, which are currently written into the bill, um, and potential must-carry obligations on so-called content of democratic importance. So that would have basically meant that platforms have to leave up stuff that's from don't know politicians or journalists um, who are talking about kind of political state of affairs. Um, it's possible that might be expanded further. Um, it's something that has been very controversial so far, but the UK government might try uh, to really push, given uh, the new priorities of the current prime minister and secretary of state. Um, Going back to the first one that you mentioned on children, um, that seems a little bit unclear, uh, less clear at least, um, for the time being, um, Truss had previously said that she wanted to strengthen these protections. Um, but in the current language that we're hearing from Donalyn, um, she has said that those protections are quote, absolutely not changing, whether that means, uh, don't worry, the protections for children aren't going anywhere and this is still a priority of mine, or whether it means um, this isn't something that we're going to change and actually we're going to focus all of our amendments on the freedom of speech thing. Not currently clear. But certainly, it seems a bit less um, likely than the freedom of speech amendments. If we do see changes, however, um, it's possible that will take the form of strengthened age verification um, requirements. So, At the moment, there's a lot of language around age assurance, uh, whereas age verification um, is a slightly more specific form of that um, that might require, for example, a form of identification being provided to prove someone's age or um, a possible mandate for so-called proactive technologies. So these platforms having to go out there and actually find uh, content that is harmful to children, as opposed to just taking it down when it is alerted um, or presented to them. So not clear whether that will happen. It's still currently um, being debated. As you can imagine, there's a bit of a flurry of civil society all trying to do lobbying at the moment, but it certainly seems that there will be change in some form or another.
0: I suppose we can reflect on the fact that there is a certain strength in the ambiguity of pledges made on the campaign trail, in the sense that a pledge to protect under-18s as part of the online safety bill could could be enforced, you could argue, by the bill as it was already drafted, or indeed, should the department uh, decide to, uh, could even be strengthened. Likewise, on the freedom of expression, you could see potentially modest almost symbolic changes, or you could see quite radical reform, the, the government has quite a lot of leeway here to fulfill what Liz Truss pledged to do, and they can do so in a way, whether modest or ambitious, that wouldn't necessarily embarrass the prime minister in the commitment that, that she took. So we'll see how that that develops. But as you say, it looks like the freedom of expression area is where we are likely to see the most changes between the bill that was around before the summer and the bill That is likely to resurface in the autumn or the fall. So, just thank you both. Uh, Thank you, Megan. Thank you, Agoma. That was great uh, talking to you today about where we are, both the US uh, and in the UK. And just to say thanks to everyone who's joined this week's uh, podcast. As ever, if you, your business, or your investment are exposed to the developments we've talked about today, which are most notably US privacy law or indeed UK developments around content moderation please don't hesitate to get in touch. You can find the contact details from Megan and at the GC website, which is www.global-council.com or via the link in the podcast notes. In a couple of weeks' time, we are going to have our next conversation podcast with Joe Twist, and we're going to focus on the regulatory issues associated with the gaming sector. See you then.